This is Ryan Lowry. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to In the Springs, where my guest today is current Whitesnake guitarist, Joel Hoekstra. I feel like in a way, I'm the guy who maybe shouldn't have gotten this far. So um, from here, it's just about showing gratitude to the fans for the support and seeing how far I can take it. Joel has had an incredible career uh, to include, but definitely not limited to, a nearly decade-long stint with Night Ranger, as well as a run on Broadway as part of Rock of Ages, and a performance on the 2009 Tony Awards. Uh, Joel is a uh, super nice guy, and I was definitely geeking out a little bit having a chance to meet and talk with him. I really do hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So sit back and enjoy, because guitar legend Joel Hoekstra is in the springs. Hope I'm not sporting tons of broccoli in my teeth there. I was just eating off the uh, veggie tray. It's just audio. You're fine. I won't call out the broccoli. Awesome. All right. So I've got uh, Mr. Joel Hoekstra with Whitesnake. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Man, my pleasure. Thanks for sitting down. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we just uh, got a peek at the uh, the sound check, um, <laughs> and I've got a, I got a good feeling about this band. I think you guys are doing all right. Oh, thanks so <laughs> it much. It terrific, yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. We were blowing the dust off a couple today in sound check. But uh, yeah, so far, man, it's it's been great. We really hit the ground running, and, and uh, the band has great chemistry right now, and uh, we're really feeling it, man. I mean, we're having a great tour. Uh, David's in fine form, singing his butt off, and uh, man, we're just having a blast, dude. It's been great so far. Well, and I was checking the schedule, and you guys are not messing around. You've got a ton of dates on your calendar right now, and it looks like you're staying uh, staying pretty busy supporting this uh, latest White Snake effort. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're very excited about it too. I mean, uh, I feel like the album uh, was really well received, and and uh, everybody really started to understand i think after the initial reaction that we really flexed our creative muscles quite a bit on it and it really was a reworking of these great proven songs and and uh but still sounds very much like a white snake record in the end in its own way so uh i mean i'm thrilled to be a part of the album and thrilled to be a part of this tour and and uh yeah man life's good nice well now i know prior to this you uh you were with night ranger for eight years um and then joining white snake what's What's the challenge or, or the joy for you going from being a fan to now being a colleague with these guys? What does that transition feel like for you? Um, yeah, it's always interesting. I mean, I, really all the people that are in my biography that I've worked with are, are people that I have a healthy level of respect for that when I was younger, I essentially was a fan. So uh, the older you get, uh, the more you, that just becomes really respect more than... Um, more than a fanish kind of thing, and and uh, ultimately it just comes down to d- everything. Just uh, it's a job; you have to treat it like such, and just to have a workmanlike approach to it, and do the best you can with everything, and keep your head on straight. And I mean, I just want to do the music justice all the way across the board. The purple stuff, and and the, of course the great White Snake hits that we're playing live. For I want to make. Um, the fans really happy that they came to a show and that they spent their hard-earned money. I mean, it's not something I take lightly. So Yeah. Now, are there any challenges for you as a musician where you do want to pay homage to the guitarists that have come before you in White Snake, but at the same time, you want it to be Joel Hoekstra as well and kind of infuse your own style or flair? How, how do you kind of balance that out? 
Yeah, well, definitely the classic recognizable songs. I usually try to lean pretty close to the record because I always go back to that place when I was a kid and I'd go to a show and a guitar player would change the solo. I always had a sense of disappointment. Right. So <laughs> I just try to put myself in that place and go, this isn't really about me at this point showing what I can do on guitar. It's about making the fans happy and trying to give the fans a show that they want to be at and then individuality always comes through even when even when you don't want it to you still end up sounding like yourself right, so right. uh in the end i think that's a decent approach to have and a little bit more of a selfless approach and, and making it about the fans yeah well and you've got other creative outlets as well i just saw that you uh signed with frontier for your your solo effort uh, 13 yeah. And so, and so are you able to really kind of, this is all Joel, I can do whatever the heck I want on this kind of thing. And, and, and what is that creative outlet like for you? Well, that's actually, I mean, that's honed as well. It's, I wanted to have a, a rock side project. I have solo albums out in the past that were all instrumental and showcased a little bit more of just my guitar playing. I would say two of them were like rock fusion, I would say, and one was just acoustic. So it didn't make a lot of sense for me. Once I wrote these songs and, and got the musicians together for that uh, the Joel Hoekstra's 13 album, it didn't make a lot of sense for me to call it Joel Hoekstra because it kind of ends up sounding like a band. I've got <laughs> singers and, I mean, it's it, it sounds like band stuff. So I decided to give it a rock side project name gotcha. and joel hoekstra's 13 is the is the name of that project and and uh, for now it's really just about trying to get that album out that's been a challenge unto itself with um my touring commitments and whatnot and of course white snake always always comes first so um but yeah I'm, I'm really looking forward to that coming out and and uh, i would describe that stuff as like do-ish at its heaviest and foreigner-ish at its lightest but nice. it's definitely um in the melodic classic rock genre very cool now, what do you think it is about bands like Whitesnake where, you know, they go back into the mid to late 80s and they're still relevant and still touring? Uh, you know, I myself am, am a fan. What, what do you attribute that longevity to, not only with Whitesnake, but kind of with that, this genre of music? You know, I, I hate the label hair metal, but that's kind of what I grew up with. <laughs> yeah, and, I hate that label too. Yeah, but I mean, what do you think that... It's like I hate Shredder, too. I hate that. I hate Shredder. That's a, take, such a stupid term. I'll, I'll take that off yeah. my list. No, no, no. <laughs> but, well, I don't know. I mean, I think that, that goes down to each artist, right? Doesn't it? At the end of the day, how long they want to pursue it and how long they want to um, remain actively working in it. I think a lot of these guys, I'm definitely sure David could retire if he wanted to, but I think he has a passion for it and and wants to do what he was put on earth to do. I mean, I can totally relate to that, except for that I'm not set for life <laughs> at this point in time of my life. But I, I think um, just having that passion, just wanting to do it, I mean, it's a great job, great job to have. And I think David still has that fire inside him. Well, one thing that struck me tonight, I mean, the sound check, it was probably 35 or 40 minutes long. And you guys have been doing this a long time, and it really kind of shows the work ethic and, and the amount of energy it takes to to put a good show together. Do you think there are musicians that get into it thinking, hey, I just go on stage an hour a night, and that's it, and I'll be a rock star? <clears throat> Do they understand the level of commitment and work that you put into it? Uh, well, I always, when people ask me for advice or younger kids ask me for advice, that's, I always try and stress. I mean, I feel like you get back what you put into it, and the harder you work, that that's what you get back. Um, 
It's really that simple. It's just like any other job. People like to attach this magic to it or like we have some kind of special natural talent or uh, it's really just comes down to how much work you put in. And, and there is sort of, I would say, with getting into any, anything in the arts, not just music, there's always that little like valley of the dead you have to get through of everybody telling you, don't do it, you'll never make it, you'll right. never make it. And, um, and once you get there, I mean which I feel like I have. I feel like I've gone the last like seven or eight years with uh, the gigs I've been doing from struggling musician to somebody who's going to be all right with like hopefully making it to the end of his life playing. Uh, that, uh, I, feel, I feel like I've gotten there just through hard work. And that's uh, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. You have to look around if you're a local musician. And, and I get that from a lot of people in smaller markets. Should I move to a different city? And it's, I think nowadays it's just really about just being productive from the time you wake up till you go to bed every day. It's like a daily philosophy, more or less, that helps people. Um, become successful because there's not a lot of like oh i rolled out of bed and sold 10 million albums happening anymore these days it's a tough business man you got to be willing to uh get your hands dirty and and work hard now early on in your career when did you realize that that this is a job and i and i do have to dedicate myself to it fully and i'm going to be a full-time musician did you have kind of a realization early on that hey if i'm serious about this i got to take it seriously yeah my parents are classical musicians so that really helped because it gave a model to the fact of like i saw how hard they had to work to do their gigs and um and i had some great guitar teachers early on that were way way better than me that set the bar really high um and that would practice major hours and so that was good for that as well uh, I think honestly, I probably, the only regrets I have is kind of fighting any of the whole, like getting an image together and networking and things like that. I really fought against a lot of that stuff earlier in my career and I should have just gotten with the program at the end of the day, because if you just treat it like a very straightforward and very honest approach, I think everybody understands networking can feel a little cheesy when you talk to somebody and it's obvious, okay, you're trying to get something from me and, right. yeah, and I'm trying to get something from you. But at the end of the day, that's how business is done. And, um, I think if, as long as it comes from an honest place and, and, uh, like a straightforward approach with it and not something whatever dishonest then uh that's something i should have gotten with a little sooner i now uh, why do you think you did fight that was there any particular i don't know i i didn't like i i my first band i was 15 years old and had short hair i had a really late development in life we'll call it i was like five foot four <laughs> and so the, everybody in that quote-unquote hair metal scene <laughs> when i was a kid they they hated me and uh and so i always just fought against that image because i'd say well uh, screw that those those i was the biggest user of the word poser there's ever right. been and now i'm like hitting every rock pose there could possibly be on stage <laughs> at this late stage of my life but it's really i think um I don't know. The older you get, too, you realize it's not necessarily a talent contest. It, it's it's just about like being a, a good person and getting along with everybody and and uh, being an easy hang for everybody. I think more more than being like a, a pompous ass about your playing. I, a lot of kids, not that I necessarily was. I think I was just really insecure as a kid about I don't know my image or look or I don't know. I couldn't tell you. A lot of it probably is growing up in the Midwest too. Yeah, the, that very like um, 
you're supposed to be humble and you're supposed to, you know, I don't care how long, I don't care how long the back gets, just keep the bangs short. <laughs> so uh, were you sp- sporting the mullet back in the oh, day? Big time, dude. It was the <laughs> worst. I had like a, yeah, it was pretty awful. I don't know if I ever reached like full Richard Marks Pompadour level, but, um, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty stupid. I've got some good pictures. Oh, that's awesome. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I saw that you did, um, you were able to be on the bill for the Randy Rhodes Remembered uh, show recently, um, which had, you know, guitar gods from, from the 80s and 90s. And, and what was that experience like for you? And, and specifically, what, what did Randy Rhodes mean to, not only to you, but to the genre in general? What was unique about him? I know he died tragically and, and early, and I think a lot of times that can sort of create this false idolhood that, you know, we lost a great guitar player too, too young. But, but what resonates with you about Randy Rhodes and, and being a part of that project? Yeah, well, I mean, I wore that stuff out as a kid. Um, I, I remember going up to the music land in the mall and buying the Blizzard of Oz cassette and coming home and putting it in and the whole thing. And uh, really, I think what Randy did that was cool, at least from my, my perspective, is he made classical cool because, I, as I said, I grew up in a family playing classical music and all that stuff. And I just wanted to be a baseball player. I was like, screw this. When I was a little kid, I couldn't wait to quit lessons. And um, <clears throat> and then I started rock guitar. And But when I heard Randy putting classical into his style, into his electric playing and his acoustic playing, it really made me reevaluate a lot of the things that I was growing up on and go, now, wait a minute. I guess my parents are pretty cool. A lot of the stuff that they can play, that's pretty neat. And like... Um, I just think that that led to a lot of open-mindedness for me, like pursuing different styles from an early age and and being open-minded to learning how to play jazz and uh, just understanding that, hey, I can grab bits of everything and put it in. It doesn't have to be just rock. Uh, Anyway, but that's... uh, Randy was great for a lot of things, but for me, that's definitely like the number one thing that he did. And do you think the genre became more open to that as well? You know, like with Steve Vai and Nuno Bettencourt, guys that were influenced by other musical genres other than just kind of classic heavy metal or whatever it might be. Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, I I think that whole Richie Blackmore would have to go down is really the father of it. But as honestly, as a kid at my age, I listened to Ozzy before I listened to Deep Purple and Rainbow. Yeah. So, uh, cause I grew up, I guess I would, that was probably what, when that stuff, that Ozzy stuff came out, that was like 81 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 81, right, 82. And- right when I was starting guitar and getting into rock and like was in G- seventh grade when you're supposed to <laughs> start getting into that stuff. <laughs> so for me, Randy did that for me, but honestly, it was Richie Blackmore was probably the, I'm the real father of that. And then of course, Ingve really blew that whole thing right, wide right. open of bringing the classical thing into hard rock. Uh, but yeah, it, all that stuff is really, really valuable and, um, no regrets growing up in a guitar scene like that as a kid either. You had to practice, it, say what you will about like any of the, the over the topness of it. People love to, uh, poke fun about it, but man, you had to practice your guitar to, to be able to play all that stuff that was being played in the eighties. It was not, not an easy, uh, genre to tackle. So when you were coming up, what was a typical practice regiment for you? I mean, were you putting in hours a day and... Yeah, you know, just running through scales and doing all the exercises. And yeah, I think I, I remember begging my mom to let me drop out of high school so I could get in more time. How'd that work out for you? Very competitive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She didn't. She didn't uh, receive that too well. But it was very competitive, man. I mean, there was like I remember there was a guy in our local scene who was 16 who had gotten to drop out, and he was worried. It was he was putting in eight hours a day, and I was all worried because I'd never be able to put in eight hours a day while I was going to school and having to do homework. I was only getting in three hours a day, and that. 
that whole thing. It was very like we were all very um, competitive. And I, I know those summer times where I really put in a lot of hours, like five, six hours a day and things like that. And um, I've gone through periods of doing the eight hours a day, too. Um, it, it really depends. Yeah. A lot of it, uh, as you know, the age I'm at now comes down to more uh, the gigs and, and what's really necessary for the moment. Uh, so right now, obviously with like tonight, I'll, I'll run all the white snake, anything that's difficult in the white snake show before the show and sound check. And, uh, that's, and by the time I'm done with the gig, that's probably it for the day. Yeah. So, but that's a, that's a decent amount of time. We get in three hours of guitar playing or something today. Nice. So, yeah. Well, the next thing I wanted to ask you about, you, you probably have talked about this ad nauseum, so I apologize in advance, but the, uh, the rock of ages experience for you. Um, I think the the transition from you know kind of rock and roll heavy metal to a more structured theatrical performance and being involved with a project like that. What what was that experience like for you? And and how did you get the opportunity? I guess to kind of back up a little bit. Man, it was great. Well, the opportunity arose from a very weird place that you wouldn't believe. But I I had a neighbor. Uh, who really does the pit stuff in New York and Broadway. He does the whole, he's a pit musician. And he's just like a couple blocks away. And he said, hey man, you should sub for me on the shows that I do. And I was like, dude, I haven't read music like on that kind of level since high school. Or I was just like, I don't know, man. I, and he was like, no, no, you'll be fine. I'll give you a recording and you'll give you the book and you get a few weeks to learn it before you come in. And so I started doing that for all his shows just because I was like, this is a good kind of stay busy, work on your skills type thing. So I subbed on a few different shows. Every show that he would get, I would learn. And um, anyway, he ended up playing on this show, Tarzan, that Phil Collins wrote the music for. And and the keyboard player from that show became the music supervisor for Rock of Ages. So when it came time to hire a band, he was like, oh, I remember there being a guy. And I... I he didn't even know I was in Night Ranger yet at that point. Is that I, right? I, yeah, I joined. So he went and looked me up on MySpace. was the big <laughs> thing back then. So they looked me up on MySpace and was like, oh, wow. Oh, he's in Night Ranger now. So it kind of just made it really a no-brainer. And the experience itself was fantastic because, um, well, man, on a ton of levels. Number one, I, it allowed me to play a gig every day. I didn't have a gig for seven at home, years. No less. Yeah, yeah, at home. So it, it, I was... I held the gig so I could schedule in. I had six subs that I would schedule in and do shows whenever I was playing with Night Ranger or a Trans-Siberian Orchestra. So I just I could take off whenever I wanted, but the next day I was home, man, I had a gig. And so that was great monetarily because you're always making money and you're always gigging. So I was on stage in front of an audience for like seven straight years. It's really a good experience to have, even though it's not necessarily like we grow up dreaming of like someday I'm going to play in a 80s rock Broadway show. (laughs) No, no kid says that when they're learning to play guitar, but... (laughs) Um, but it worked out great, and and I cultivated a lot of great relationships with the guys from those bands. They pretty much all came to the show at some point, so I got to play. For instance, there's no way I would have filled in for Mick Jones and Foreigner if him and Phil Carson hadn't been to the show and seen me uh, play the Foreigner stuff in the show. Yeah. So when Mick was sick in 2011, they, they asked me to fill in for him, really because of that. So That's crazy. In the clip online that I saw from the 2009 Tonys, it starts off with Joel Hoekster in the spotlight, <clears throat> fan in your face, 
just wrecking it. Yeah. What, what, what was that? I mean, was that one of those pinch me moments where it's like, I'm at the Tony Awards playing heavy metal music right it now? It was the weirdest moment. <laughs> Number one, right before I went on, I was stuck between Dolly Parton and Will Ferrell having a conversation, if you can imagine. Pretty so typical day I'm for like Joel. <laughs> waiting to go on with my gold top, and I've got Dolly Parton and Will Ferrell having a conversation on each side of me. And I'm going, this is totally, totally surreal. This is like that insane. Is crazy. And then they actually, you couldn't really tell so much on that clip, but they had the entire cast come up on an elevator from underneath behind me. So technically I was the only one on stage. So during, uh, at the beginning of it, so during commercial break, I walked out alone on stage at Radio City Music Hall in front of a full place and had all the TV cameras and everything. And they were counting down to come back onto air. And so, man, it was like, it was quite a moment. And then just to stand out there alone and in that type of scenario was a little nuts. I mean, what were the nerves like at that stage? Obviously, you had thousands of hours of stage yeah, time. But... They were significant, but I had a lot of vodka in there, I think, at that point, as I recall. That's the that, behind the scenes so right there. That's what helped me get through that, I believe, at that time. So, yeah, yeah. Not that I advise anybody to do that, but I, that's the honest truth. <laughs> well, I imagine your, your bucket list is probably down to a tablespoon or so at this point. What, what do you still want to accomplish in your career? Are there any anything you know, anything out there that you're shooting for, or is there any, any goals that you haven't attained yet or things that you think would be a cool opportunity for, for you to do? I'd like to just play, play rock, play music, but in particular rock at the highest level. And, uh, uh, yeah, I just continue doing that. I mean, my definition of success really is pretty, pretty, pretty low in a lot of ways. It's getting through life without having to do anything else because I, I really don't know how to do anything else. So my panic is like, well, if, what happens if I like run out of money? Something goes wrong, and I'm like, I gotta end up waiting tables or something. I'm screwed. I'll never be able to do it. I don't know how to do anything. So that's kind of it for me. But I would like to do just continue to give my all to try and do, like I said, justice to the music and the fans and, and hopefully just see how far it can go. I, I feel like in a way I'm the guy who maybe shouldn't have gotten this far. So um, from here, it's just about showing gratitude to the fans for the support and seeing how far I can take it. Excellent. Well, Joel Hoekstra, I feel uh, cooler talking to you, man. <laughs> like, I, likewise. I appreciate your time and, and certainly all the best, my friend. I appreciate it. Well, cheers, man. Thanks, Thanks so, so much for having me. So there you have it, White Snake guitarist Joel Hoekstra. Uh, big thanks to Joel for hanging out with me before the White Snake show at the Pikes Peak Center. Uh, just a solid, humble, and a really cool guy, and certainly wish him nothing but the best. A big thanks to Andrew Yonke for helping me get things set up for the interview and hanging out with me during soundcheck. And as always, thank you for listening to In the Springs. The In the Springs podcast is available on iTunes and Stitcher. In the Springs is also a proud member of the KCMJ family. Visit kcmj.org for program schedule details. You can follow In the Springs on Twitter at RPL underscore Metajunk. Until next time, I'm Ryan Lowry. And we'll see you again right here in the Springs.